Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. This week, we'll open with an update on our Film Grain Dinner and a Movie series at the Bourbon Barrel. We'll share Cinemark Tinseltown's reopening plans in Erie, talk about running a theater in the great pandemic of 2020 with Dennis Coper owner of Waterford Sunset Drive-In, and we're going to share our thoughts on the new feature film, Shirley, which is available on Hulu. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming for the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And I'm Erica Berlin, the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And I'm Mike Berlin, Erica Berlin's husband. Thanks, husband. First, we want to update everybody on Film Grain Dinner and a Movie. This is our beloved program at the Bourbon Barrel here in Erie, normally taking place on Wednesday nights. I think the last Wednesday night we screened was at the beginning of March. We have been on hiatus since then. We have been meeting with the Bourbon Barrel, um, Antonio and Zach, every few weeks to talk about what a reopening plan would be in accordance with state and local guidelines and national guidelines. We have many ideas, but, and we know for sure that we will be returning, so fear not. But instead of postponing the remainder of our spring season, which is now pushing into summer, we are going to cancel all of those events. Brown paper tickets, where anyone purchased their tickets, is a little bit slow on the refunds, but uh, once we cancel the events, the refunds should come back to you. Um, If you haven't received a refund, we recommend emailing them directly at refunds at brownpapertickets.com with your purchase information. We're going to have all of our updated dates on our website, filmsocietynwpa.org. And of course, on our Facebook page, we'll provide updates there and answers to frequently asked questions. We'll also be here info at filmsocietynwpa.org. So email us if you have anything else. And we really want to thank everyone for all of their continued patience and support. If Erie goes green smoothly, we are looking to return at the beginning of August, August 5th. So what this might look like, plans we are working on would include a socially distanced seating for up to 60 people, which is half of our usual capacity, optional food and drink add-ons, no sales at the door, and a new online ticketing system. So like I said, we will have more updates in the coming weeks. You may see another survey soon to let us know exactly what you think. So I, for one, am very excited to get back on Wednesday nights. I think it'll be a wonderful experience. We have a spacious theater space there. I know we'll be able to have um, something comfortable for everybody. So there you go. Film Grain Update. Mike, what do you've got for us with Tinseltown and Cinemark? Exciting news. Okay, so uh, Cinemark has come through. They are across the country starting to do a slow rollout opening up their movie theaters. So what you can expect in Erie is that they have a slated for July 10th right now. So there's a video and then they've got everything written out. Uh, The CEO, Mark Zerardi, they have like a nice like sort of seven minute package talking about how Cinemark wants to entertain people again. So they're going through a, as you might expect, they're going through a number of changes and sort of handling things as they go along. There's going to be, obviously, they're going to be 
uh, cleaning and wiping down surfaces pretty much every half hour. They're staggering uh, the time of the movie showings so that theaters will never get too crowded. At the same time, there will be a We'll be having spacing and social distancing in the theater. So you'll be going to a movie and it'll literally probably be, if it's something like Tenet, then it, you know, you'll know you probably be you and like 30 other people at most or something like that. I think it's about as responsible as they possibly can. And they also ask that patrons be responsible as well, which, you know, in this time, you hope people are heeding that advice and everybody's sort of doing their part not to not to get each other sick. Uh, as far as the uh, employees of Cinemark at Sense of Town, they will be, uh, they'll be screening them every day within the first five minutes of their reporting to work. Obviously, gloves, PPE, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have movies this summer, July 10th, just in time for Tenant. I know we're all excited about that. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait for it to I'm ready for it because it's. I think it's about to get hot and can always use the air conditioning. And uh, I'll be sitting there six feet away from Front Row Joe. And uh, yeah. oh, a classic <laughs> Front reference. Row Joe. Wow, uh, throwback. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if people remember that, but yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you guys think just in general? You know, obviously we're looking at coming back ourselves. We're going to be talking with Sunset Drive-In and we are working on uh, talking with the movies at Meadville also who have already been open. Mike, is there anything out on July 10th? Because I think Mulan is like the week after that. And then the week after Mulan is Tenant, right? Yeah, uh, there was nothing that I saw that's actually everything that would have come out, whether it would have been Wonder Woman or any of the July, all that stuff has actually been pushed to August. So what Cinemark is going to be doing is because everything got pushed back and kudos to them for sort of figuring this out quickly. They're going to be doing these classic movies. You know, they're doing the whole PR spin of like, come back to the movies. It's going to be $5 for adults, $3 for kids and uh, popcorn and soda and snacks are all going to be being sold at a discount. And beer and wine. And beer and wine. Yes, yes. Adult beverages. As well. <laughs> Although they didn't say that that was going to be at a discount. Uh, just your typical vendor fare. So for the rollout, they're going to be doing classic movies. Like, it's probably going to be just your standard like Indiana Jones or E.P., <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Close encounter. It's your Spielberg films. Comfort food. <laughs> Comfort, Comfort food, yeah. Yeah. I assume the mask situation is going to be based on state guidelines. I mean, did they say anything about masks in the theater versus in the lobby? When, when you walk in, you're wearing a mask. But once you're seated there, from the videos that they show and from the way that I'm reading it, again, it might vary from state to state. And obviously, everything with the virus is fluid. I think we should keep that in mind. But it does, for now, it seems like once you're seated and the film is going, that you can take your mask off. I have a theory. When Erie County goes green, everybody's been waiting for that. Which at the time of this release, we will have been right after our first weekend of... When this episode airs, right. we would have three days under our belt of green. <laughs> yes, and I'll be very interested to see if for some reason people think that green means masks aren't required anymore. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And it sounds like maybe Dennis has joined us. Is that you, Dennis? Thank you for joining us today. Um, you're the owner of the Sunset Drive-In in Waterford. 
Not half owner, the wife owns the other half. Okay. <laughs> half owner, understood. Um, are are you and your wife uh, originally from Erie? Or are you always have you always been in in Erie, Erieites? Well, I'm I'm originally from Erie. She was originally from Pittsburgh, from Glassport. Okay. Where did you guys meet? It was a blind date in the grocery store. <laughs> a blind date in the grocery store. I love that's, that. That's a new one. There you go. Well, that's cool. When um, did you always have an interest in the movies? Yeah, I started working at the drive-in in '68 and uh, doing the service work, and then uh, it just continued on from there. Is this when you were a student? How old were you, when you, if you don't mind me asking, when you first started working at the drive-in? In '68, I was 18. Okay. Wow. So uh, the sunset is definitely. It's, it's a big part of your life. Yeah, it's, it's been around a good many years. Who owned the Sunset when you started working there at 18? Yeah, it was the original owner, and uh, he decided to retire, and we bought it in 86. And we've, you know, run it ever since. So back in uh, 1986, drive-ins were a very, very hot property then. How often did you guys show movies? What was the attendance like back in those days? How were things different back in back in the 80s? Uh, we used to run seven nights a week, and basically almost every night was a packed night. Uh, until up was in the late 70s that VCRs came along and people were watching movies at home and that. So the theaters kind of dropped off uh, in the 70s there. Your previous owner uh, switched the theater over to an X-rated theater and made a killing on it. And uh, when we took it over we, in 86, we switched it back to a family theater. And uh, we've been doing fairly well. That's excellent. Um, what are what are some of your memorable moments from those early days of ownership, like in the 80s and 90s? What were some of your, your biggest hits that you remember? Uh, I remember, what was it, Twister. <laughs> that had been the most exciting movie I've ever watched anywhere. Uh, when the tornado went through the movie theater at, at, on the screen, uh, we have a potato plant across the street. That the steam was coming up out of the stack, and a bolt of lightning lit that up in the background because it was raining that night. And it lit that up in the background, and everybody screamed because they thought it was a tornado coming across the road to that art screen. Oh, that's and amazing. You, yeah, you couldn't have coordinated that any more perfect than that. It was unbelievable. That's, that is awesome. <laughs> it's rain or shine, right? Yes. It doesn't matter if it rain or shine. The only thing that'll shut us down is if we get a real heavy fog in there. And that'll shut the theater down. But other than that, it, it runs uh, right on through. Right now, we only run weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, that that's an awesome moment. Have you ever had to, have you ever gotten snow? in northwestern Pennsylvania? We've had snow uh, a couple of times. Uh, when we opened up like in April and that, uh, we've had, you know, three or four or five inches of snow come down in the evening. Okay. Uh, it was just a freak storm that didn't, you know, hold around, but it, uh, it, 
made it very interesting. <laughs> what's what's the length of your season usually? When do you usually open, and when do you usually close up the movies for the season? Uh, we usually start uh, beginning of April, and then uh, the movies will end uh, about September. Uh, first part of September when the kids go back to school. And then the flea market, we continue that till about October, beginning of October. Okay. Um, and let's see, what else can I, I I'm kind of looking for, for stories. I know that, um, you know, there was a big change in the industry as far as projection. Um, and I know that was a challenge for a lot of venues. Do you remember when, when that was happening? Probably you don't want to remember when things had to go to digital. Well, I'll I, I tell you, when everything went digital, that was a major investment because about that time, we only had the theater paid off for a few years. I hated to make that big investment into the digital equipment because uh, I'm, you know, I'm 70 years old and, you know, how long am I going to be around? And we did it anyways. We made the investment and kept the theater going because everybody was saying, you know, you can't close the theater. Uh, it's, it's like part of the countryside right there. So walk us through, you know, that, I, I don't remember the year. I'm not sure if you, you remember the year, maybe Mike, Mike or Erica might too, but, um, do you remember when that was and how much notice you had and kind of the logistics of, of how that worked out? Uh, it's about five years ago now, because I still got 15 more years of payment. So I'll be 85 when it's paid off. <laughs> Okay. Is that an exaggeration, or is that that's you? You really have fifteen years of payments. Yeah, fifteen more years of payments on it. Okay, so that's a significant chunk of change there. So it's a complete uh, new machine, I would assume. In there, everything had to go. All the guts. Yeah, all the old equipment had to go. Uh, it was almost a two hundred thousand dollar investment by the time you built the room, the ventilation system, the heating, air conditioning. Because uh, this thing has to be kept, you know, in a, a certain temperature range, and that uh, it was a heck of an investment that you know I really scratched my head about uh, doing. How was the learning curve on the new equipment? How long um, did it take for you to get comfortable with, you know, the the drives and the keys and and stuff like that? Well, let's put it this way: I still call my nephew when I get stuck on that miserable computer. I'm not familiar with computers very much. And I call the kid and I tell him, say, hey, I got this problem. He comes in, hits a couple of keys, say, that's what you got to do. And he's got it, you know, downloaded and everything else. I still stumble around with that. Uh, it's a little bit, uh, for me, it's a little hard to learn. Do you know where the uh, where the old projection system ended up? Yeah, I got it up in my shed. I still have all the old equipment wow. I didn't part with. Okay. I'm, I'm a horse. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hoarder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you have this uh, amazing old projection system still around. Keep us in mind for that. If ever we want to run a uh, a gorilla renegade uh, <laughs> drive in somewhere. John Lane clips when he was doing uh, commercials for the American Cancer Society. I still got some of his old films around. Yet. Oh wow, that's incredible. That's been a couple of years ago. <laughs> Do you have any like old reels and stuff in storage or no? I still got the old reels and uh, I don't have any complete movies. I just have some clips here and there. Some clippings. Movies deteriorating. 
So you made the digital switch about five years ago. How has the ecosystem been for drive-in movie theaters, let's say over over the past 10 years, you know, from 2010 to 2020? How would you say things have been going in Waterford before before this year, and then we'll get into how things have gone this year so far. Went to the VCRs basically, uh, so they could watch the movies at home at their own leisure and everything else. But now people are, are getting the cabin fever. You know, I'm tired of sitting at the house looking at that miserable tube, you know, and and uh, they want to get out of the house and do something. And out there, they can get together with all their friends. Uh, they bring their boom boxes because we have uh, a radio transmitter that transmits the sound. They'll bring their big boom boxes, lounge chairs, and uh, blow-up mattresses and everything else, and they'll spread out there on the field and just have a ball. Who does your programming for you guys? Do you do you have total flexibility there? Do you have a limited catalog that you can choose from? Uh, we have an agent that books the hottest movies that are, you know going. Whatever's coming down the line, he previews them all uh, as our agent, and uh, he knows what's going to be a good movie and what's going to be a a flop. And uh, he tries to book us all the number one movies. So let's let's jump forward to 2020, a year of, of many challenges. When did you guys reopen? When were you able to reopen for movies this year? Uh, we've been open about four weeks. The health department has given us gray hairs, uh, like you wouldn't believe the the rigmarole you got to go through to open up, and uh, they wanted us to limit. You know, 25 people on the field. You know, 20, 25 people? That's it? Yeah. Yeah, he says, that is not going to happen. So then he says, well, you can open up the theater at 50% capacity, but you can't open your snack bar or your restrooms. And I says, geez, what are people supposed to do when you sit in the car for, you know, three or four hours? You know, they, you know they're going to want to use the restroom. So finally they reconsidered and they, they let us open up the restroom, but we had to have a guard at the door. And uh, they said only one person at a time can go. Well, that didn't go over too good. And then they allowed us to do for two persons at a time. Then finally, they allowed us to open up the snack bar after we drew up plans and a whole bunch of other stuff we had to go through. They have been one big headache this year uh, as far as getting open goes. So it sounds like it's been just kind of a learning as you go, <laughs> constructing, you know, whatever scenarios you can to... Um... Yeah, they have a different story. Uh, there's a different uh, uh, story they come up with. You, nobody has any definite rules on this COVID uh, stuff, you know. There's no... They say, before they said anything you touch, you know, you can catch this COVID stuff now. You can touch anything. It's not uh, transferred by contact. And you got to wear masks. Well, a mask holds more germs than just breathing the air, I think. But, you know, they want you to wear masks. A lot of challenges there. How many staff do you guys have? I forgot to ask you that before. Like, to do a movie night um, at the drive-in, how many people do you normally have on staff each night? Uh, We have, uh, there's six in the snack bar. I run the projectors and the wife runs the ticket booth. First, women get all the money, so she does the ticket booth. 
<laughs> Understood. So how how was how was the public reception when you guys first opened? And then I'm curious how because wasn't the first movie that you opened with it was a little atypical of what you guys usually show, wasn't it? More of an independent. It was a independent movie from Amazon, wasn't it? They had a you know a special fifty cents a car. And they, Amazon picked up the difference. Everybody seemed to take to it pretty good. We weren't jam back, but you know we were. We did pretty good with it. Yeah, we. I was very curious about that because, I mean, personally, I was kind of excited to see that you guys were were showing you know something a little different. But I was curious how your audience would take to it because that movie was really well reviewed, but it wasn't really well known. So was that because? options were so limited at that point and Amazon was kind of helping everybody out that made that decision easier? Yeah, yeah there was nothing available because the film companies weren't releasing anything. Uh, no movies are being released to us yet. They're, they're streaming it on uh, pay-per-view and that. I don't know, if, you know what they're going to do, but uh, I heard that for the 4th of July we're supposed to get first-run movies. Ghostbusters yeah. is supposed to be out. So we're hoping we get that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Before we get to the upcoming week, what what have you guys shown since? And I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of that movie. Maybe Mike or Erica could look it up. The Vast of Night, I think, or The Vast of Universe or something like that. The Vast of Night sounds right. So since The Vast of Night, what have you guys been showing um, for this first month? Yeah, well, we, we did Jurassic Park and Jaws last weekend. And well, we did really good with that. Jurassic, Park, Jurassic Park and Jaws. Yeah, that's a great double bill. We did two Disney movies before that. I can't remember. I'm getting old and senile, and I can't remember very much. I'm curious uh, how this Garth Brooks event came about. I saw that you guys did a kind of an informal poll on your Facebook page. Um, was this another one of those? It was kind of an opportunity that presented itself, and you guys just um, kind of rolled with it, or because. The price, the price point is very interesting. The $100 uh, per vehicle is an interesting price point. So I'm curious if you can share some logistics about the Garth Brooks event. Uh, we didn't know anything about it until people started calling the theater about getting tickets for the Garth Brooks concert. And they said, wait a minute, we don't know anything about it. Well, then finally, they contacted us through our agent, you know, about, about doing a uh, Garth Brooks concert. But they wanted all the theaters to take a contract. Well, all of, uh, that bound them over for a year for any concert that came along. And I guess none of the theaters took it, but then they did us on a one-shot deal to, um, to do it. My agent says, well, it's a good, you know, it might be a good thing to go with uh, and try. Because we never tried it, so we're going to try it and see what happens. Hopefully there's a lot of people out like country and western up here. Do you guys have any idea what the sales look like? Do you keep updated on, on the sales for that, or you won't know until the night of? We probably won't know until the night of or the night before, because uh, they're handling all the ticketing, and, and that you have to go on, online and, uh, what is it, Ticketron? Ticketmaster. I'm very curious, but it seemed like on your on your Facebook page that some people were really excited about it personally in a you know in a pandemic with closing down the economy i was like a hundred dollars a vehicle that sounds crazy but um you know yeah. 
I hope it does well for you guys. Yeah, if you, they got it limited to six people in the vehicle. So if you've got six people, really, that's only, you want about 18, $18 $20 a, a person for a, a concert, that's which really isn't bad. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, have you guys considered, or maybe you've done in the past, uh, any kind of other special one-off events? I mean, I know you have your booking agent that you're going through. You know, is there flexibility to do things like live concerts or um, local film screenings or anything like that? I imagine there is. Uh, we haven't got into it too much. The only thing we've done special was for the graduation for the seniors, and three of the high schools picked up on it. Uh, Northeast, General McLean, and Fort LaBeouf. Uh, they put together a movie that uh, of the seniors graduating. They filmed each individual one with a little speech and that. They put it all together and they edited it and, and really did a nice job on it. And then all the parents got together, come out to the drive-in. They put on a fireworks display afterwards for the seniors and that. And everybody seemed to have a really good time. Yeah, we put it on our screen. And we, put, we you know, played it back on our screen, and they watched all the seniors graduate and that. They did put a limit on it just to the immediate families to be there. I was talking to some of the, the supervisors, and he says, you know, this might be a way to go instead of just being in, a, in an auditorium where you just sit there, you watch them graduate, and then you've got to hurt out of the place. This way they got out of the cars, they greeted with each other. They really had a, a really good time, uh, the kids and the uh, parents and that. And the supervisor says this might be something we might look into, you know, each year. Dennis, it's Mike Berlin here. Uh, real quick, uh, it's I love listening to these stories and stuff like that. And I, I've got a question because you've been sort of on the front line of all of this. Can you talk to us a little bit about the connection of the Sunset Drive and just the community overall, the connection between the two of those? We get along real good with everybody. Uh, the community gives us good support. It's a small town. Uh, it's outside about 15 miles outside of Erie from uh, Ohio, New York, uh, clear down as far as Butler, uh, people will come up there driving just to spend a weekend and get away. Uh, we have Presque up here, the, the beaches and that. And a lot of people will spend the weekend up here and then come out to the movie. Uh, we've got a, a lot of nice campsites around here. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, a good mix of, of, of people up here in the summer. Yeah, that's great. And with all this has, that's been going on, uh, is there any lessons you think, as a business owner, that you feel that you might walk away with and have learned from everything that's been happening? If I had to do it all over, I'd probably go to work in the shop somewhere. <laughs> no, it's been fun. You meet a lot of nice people, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been a real uh, fun thing to get into. That's great. That's great. Any, any plans on showing up? Maybe something like The Westerner? Wasn't that like your guys' first movie or like back in the day or something like that, if I'm remembering correct, correctly? Mm, I really don't know. Uh, hard to say on that one. Gotcha. gotcha. Are there any, um, you know, if, if you guys uh, could program a summer yourselves, uh, have you guys ever thought of doing that? Like doing a collection of um, some of your favorite films? No, anything that we play on the screen that we put up for the public, we have to pay a royalty to the film companies on. 
Uh, so it would have to be approved through whoever the, the film company, whether it's Universal or Sony or, uh, you know, whoever those companies are. So we can't just, you know, pick a DVD and play it and act for uh, open, you know, theater. Dennis, this is Erica Berlin. Hi. Um, Hi. My question is, so you, you screened Vast is the Night because it was all that was available and your booking agent found it. Recently, there has been um, a really interesting phenomenon of movies like Vast is the Night, really small independent films that because there was nothing else to watch, were screening in drive-ins like yours and ended up becoming huge successes that otherwise they wouldn't be seen hardly at all because uh, a big movie theater like Cinemark or an AMC theater wouldn't pick them up. Right. And Which is really fascinating. Uh, one is called The Wretched, and it is, it, for at least five weeks, it was the number one movie in America purely by being screened at drive-in theaters. And it was a very, very small independent film that if you know anything about film budgets, usually they're in the millions or for some big blockbusters, I'm imagining for Twister, for example, you had a, you know, 20, 30, $100 million budget. You know, it was number one, just like a Twister or an Avatar or a Titanic. That movie, The Wretched, had a budget of $300,000, which is micro, which is hardly anything in movie making. John Lyons, who you've been talking to here on the podcast, he made a horror movie here in Erie County with the same budget um, of $300,000. I think it would be really interesting if he could screen his movie at the Sunset Drive-In. It could be, it would be really cool to do it. I'm not saying that it would, you know, make millions of dollars like The Wretched has, but it would be really cool to do an event there, maybe a private event for the cast and the crew to come. I'm sure that they could pack the house. Uh, <laughs> but I, I yeah. mean, it's a really interesting phenomenon that that drive-ins are a huge part of how people are watching movies right now. I'm not even sure if you're aware of how popular they've been. I think there's only six, you know, five or six hundred drive-ins across the United States, if I'm right, John. Am I am I right about that? Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Dennis probably maybe even knows. Yeah. <laughs> Last I heard, there was like about 350 of them left. Oh, okay. Uh, starting to make a comeback, uh, you know, a small comeback, because nobody really wants to make the investment, and nobody really wants to do the work on them. Our, our only problem with from independence is we can't run it like on the weekend where we're under with the big film companies because uh, of our contracts. We're contracted for Thursday or for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to run our movies. Uh, if we, they wanted to put something on during the week, like on a, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, something like that, we could, we could run it as long as, is uh, you know, they have all the rights to the movie. Oh, we got Perfect. Em. Yeah. I was going to say he's got them. I think that would be a really fun event. Well, that's, that's cool to know, Dennis, that, um, you know, and maybe this is something we can explore uh, with the film society in future highlighting some locally produced uh, movies there in at the sunset would be a lot of fun. We're, we're tied with contracts so that, you know, we can't upset the apple cart there or they'll pull our, their movies on us. Um, we can't, you know, drop. Now, we, we had to get special permission to drop for the concert for Saturday night, but uh, 
that was, you know, worked out previously between uh, the company that's putting on the concert and the film companies. Of course. Yeah, so totally understandable. How many, what's the um, maximum capacity that you guys usually get there or that you can get there? Uh, we can hold about 400 cars. Wow, 400 uh, cars. So that's a lot of potential patrons. About three people per car. So it's about, you know, 1,200 people. That's that's fantastic. What are your um, just general information for our listeners? Uh, what do you guys charge per person or per car now? How how do those logistics work? We charge per person. Uh, you get to see two movies. It's eight dollars for adults. Uh, children seven to eleven are um, three dollars, and uh, children under seven are free. I guess a, a last question, and I will say you guys do a really great job on your social media. Whoever runs runs that for you, um, or maybe maybe you guys are social media hawks yourselves. He's um, yeah, <laughs> a computer. He knows computers, so he puts up all uh, the trailers and everything for our movies and that. You do a great job there with keeping that updated all the time. So people should definitely um, follow you guys on Facebook to see um, your upcoming schedules. You know, with the movies coming back and the big movies starting to come back slowly in July, if you had to guess, you know, how do you think things are looking for the future of uh, drive-ins, which... To us, um, you know, we feel like you're you're a ray of hope in this situation of social distancing and uh, you know COVID pandemic and things like that. But I'm curious, um, you know, how you guys feel the state of uh, the industry is now and looking forward. Well, I think we're going to do fairly well even with this COVID stuff because how many people want to go to an indoor theater where they're going to you know only see so many in there. And when you go to an indoor theater, you're stuck in a seat. We're out here. You don't have to be stuck in a car. It's all in the outdoors. Uh, you can sit in a lounge chair and relax. Uh, if you want to go for a little walk around the field and that, you know, and go jogging, there's plenty of room to do it. The kids can go up in front of the screen, and they usually bring uh, baseballs and footballs and whatever, and they have a ball, they play up there, and, and uh, you can really relax and have a good time at a drive-in. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much, Dennis, um, for your time, and thank you for uh, being a staple and a beacon of hope there in the, in the film community for all of us. Nice talking to you. This interview will only cost you $29.95 plus tax. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. All right. Dennis Coper. Dennis Coper. Sunset Drive-In. Sunset Drive-In. Have either of you been there? Yeah, back when I was a kid. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Yeah. yeah, I never have. I used to go to the Presque Isle Drive-In, which was yeah. right at the entrance to Presque Isle, where the Tom Ridge Environmental Center is. They had, I think, three screens, two or three screens. Um, and you could always, it was two. two. And, uh, that was really popular when I was in high school. You know, we used to get our friends, moms, you know, 
Dodge Caravan and <laughs> fill it up with people because they charged by car then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they, we've talked about this before. They showed adult films there as well. I just always find it so interesting that, you know, we think we've progressed so much as a society, but we are really in some ways so prudish compared to like 40 years ago, right? It's like, yeah. Let's go to the I, sunset and watch some porn. <laughs> Don't look well, at the yeah. porn. It's so creepy. I can't even imagine. So you drive in, you're either alone or with a, your partner, or it's a car full of dudes. I mean, you're not bringing the kids. I'm thinking that's you're not, not bringing a kids' the night. Kids. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. just creepiness. That's, that's the good old days. That's the good that's old right. days. Now so it's speaking, all family friendly. I feel like there's a business model for Uber or Lyft in there somewhere, but I'm not quite sure. I like it. Nice. Full service Uber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full service Uber. <laughs> Erica, you want to take us into our film of the week? Yeah. So this week was my recommendation of Shirley starring Elizabeth Moss. It's on Hulu for free. So get yourself in there and watch it. Shirley is about a real person named Shirley Jackson and her real husband. He was a professor at Bennington College. They lived in Northern Vermont. Shirley was a severely anxious and she didn't really leave the house very much. She went into really deep episodes when she was writing of, you know, feeling kind of very morose and she would lounge around. She became quite obese she would smoke cigarettes constantly and she ended up dying very young at 48. And the way she's portrayed in the movie, she is quite an odd duck. But the story is her husband has a like a fellow or a young professor that is coming to to campus, like his protege and, and his wife. They are coming to stay with them in their home for a while until they find their own home. Uh, but it ends up being more than a year And the movie is about the relationships that develop between all the characters. And um, of course, the genesis of her novel, which which she kind of um, plays out within the story as the young woman, Rosie, who is living with her, assumes the role of the protagonist of the novel. And so you see some crossovers there and you see that Shirley's true... Her true allegiance is to her writing and to her book more than anyone or anything else in the world. So I'll just leave it at that. But for me, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought that the cinematography was so interesting because the camera was moving around a lot. You didn't see a ton of really, really kind of set shots. It was moving in. It was getting very close. It was getting closer. It was doing a a quick zoom out. It was doing a quick zoom in. It was handheld. Um, Really, really interesting. I loved that. I loved the set design and the lighting. Elizabeth Moss was truly fascinating playing this character, although I didn't 100% love her in the role. She kind of just didn't fully do it for me. I really liked I liked her, but I just didn't fully connect with her. I think she could have been a little, she could have gone a little further, I think. I could have believed it a little bit more. Um, Her husband, Hyman, is played by Michael Stolberg, who we just watched in A Serious Man a number of weeks ago. I thought he was fantastic, quite lively in comparison to her. He cares for her. 
because she is so, she's practically bedridden constantly, just going into her mental worlds of seeing her characters and imagining this, these stories, she can barely move, she can barely eat. All she does is, is write her book. The other two characters, Rosie and Fred, are the young couple that live with them. Rosie, I thought, was fantastic. Fred, you don't see a whole lot of, but uh, Rosie is the the primary, um, I guess she might be the protagonist and Shirley is the antagonist in the story or vice versa, depending on how you look at it. So what did you guys think? I think it's important to understand who Shirley Jackson is as a writer. Uh, she's sort of like this American Gothic uh, heir apparent to maybe somebody like Washington Irving, uh, known for like Sleepy Hollow and stuff like that. And in America, there's an interesting theme of the horror genre before we know it today like with slasher films and everything like that, where it's like American psychological and horror writers are really getting into what it is to be living in American society. And in Shirley Jackson's situation, it's repressed. It's all repression, particularly with uh, books like The Haunting of Hill House, uh, The Lottery, and The Hangs of Woman, which I've never actually read but that's that's her big novel and stuff like that. Is uh, it? Well, I couldn't find it on her Wikipedia page, Mike. It's well, it, I shouldn't say it's her big novel. It's not the thing she's most famous for. It just happens to be her novel, which I they make a point of in in the movie because he's like to handle a full novel. He's concerned that she will dive much deeper into her her state of melancholy. So, Erica, what was it out of curiosity that you felt? didn't do it for you for Moss's performance. She seemed too understated. Now I understand her character was depressed, morose, angry, irritable, provocative, but I kind of wanted that to be played up a little bit more. Rosie wasn't, Rosie is such a repressed character, if you will, that she's very, closed in. She's not a very exaggerated or overtly emotional character that it's such a quiet and non-energetic performance with them together. And maybe that's the goal. Yeah, It had a female director, Josephine Decker, and two female writers. So it really was written, I think, with a strong female perspective in mind. And I do like that because I think women certainly would identify some way with Shirley, just as much as they would identify with Rosie, now just as in the 50s. I think that Shirley was deep inside her her mental novel writing, if you will, constantly. And she was very shut off from the world. Like I said before, very provocative and trying to poke the bear, if you will, a number of times throughout the movie because she wanted to get some sort of reaction out of people. To answer your question, to go back to answer your question, Mike, I just felt like it could have been from an acting perspective, I guess it could have been a little more exaggerated. And I get that's probably the point for her not to be but I didn't fully get on board with her. You see, to me, it's a little bit different. Moss is amazing. A lot of times the writing lifestyle is one that is very lonely and very introverted on some level. And so when she does have these moments where she's flashing out, like at the dinner party and stuff like that, it really creates more of a manic ebb and flow of her character to me. And I think that she is channeling what she thinks Jackson probably was like as the person because she's agoraphobic. She's not going out at all. So this is somebody who is very much built within her own inner palace, if you will, or castle, and, and almost locked within it. Then on top of it, uh, to your point about uh, the husband for Rose, Fred, I think it's intentional 
that he's not there very often. You are supposed to feel his absence. I know. I was I was just stating that he wasn't there much. And yes, oh. you're supposed to feel his absence for sure, because he is following kind of in the footsteps of his mentor, you know, Hyman Jackson. He was following in his footsteps to be out being quote unquote at the Shakespeare club. Yeah. The prestigious late. Shakespeare. Club. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was just kind of reviewing the characters at that point, Mike, but yeah, I mean, he wasn't there so that Rosie and Shirley's relationship could, could develop. To comment on Elizabeth Moss. I think she's a fantastic actress. I maybe come down on, two sides of both of you, where I feel like I've seen Elizabeth Moss play the same unhinged woman role like in most things, which to me, I feel like either it's her choice or she's being she's being like put in the box of manic, crazy woman roles. I worry about that with her because I think she has a lot of range. Like we saw that early in Mad Men and, um, you know, some of her earlier work. And now she's kind of the go-to Handmaiden's Tale and, um, you know, but pretty much name any movie. She's unhinged, you know, like she just does that so well. Um, so to me, I kind of appreciated seeing her a little in in moments of understated performance here just because that's a little critique of me for her so i don't know if erica maybe some of it is just psychologically you're used to seeing elizabeth moss like go all out and you just wanted <laughs> you wanted more of your elizabeth moss um yeah that might isms. be part of it yeah that might be part of it for sure you know, the other thing was purely logistical that when I was watching the film, I kept having to turn it up. Like I was like, I cannot hear what she is saying and turning it up and turning it up. And finally I had to turn the subtitles, the subtitles. on yeah. so that I could follow the story. <laughs> yeah. That could have been it. Yeah. I think um, between her and um, her husband, I think the playful, you know, twisted playfulness of them is was really interesting and really fun to watch. Yeah, I thought Odessa Young, who played Rose and Paula, was really quite great. I don't think I've ever seen her before. I thought Logan Lerman as Fred was, you know, well cast for being, you know, he kind of has that look. <laughs> Fifties young professor look. Yeah, yeah, and you don't really want to like his character, so I think you don't. You don't. (laughs) You don't. Um, Yeah, I thought it was a a really interesting look at uh, you know, kind of the portrait of an artist. I know I can be guilty of being in my own head and my own ass, and uh, completely absorbed into. The, the process of creation and nothing else could possibly matter more. Like it's the most important. You're, you're just so like self-centered. And so I, I, I really did like her and her portrayal of that and her husband, you know, coming at it from kind of the intellectual sizing side and kind of like her harshest critic, right? Like you really got that feeling of, which also is the other part, 
that I liked in the movie was kind of looking at society and men and women in society in this time. And, you know, there's still a lot of it around. But it was interesting when they went to the dinner parties, for example, at the at the university and how the other wives and people kind of treated uh, Shirley Jackson, you know, because she's this crazy woman that stays in the house and writes you know, these famous um, stories. So, and kind of how that persona, you know, doesn't really represent her yet the challenge of having that fame, you know, it's kind of a look at fame too, right? Like um, how your public persona is versus your personal life and the pressures of living up to one or the other or living through them simultaneously. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just loved watching kind of the, um, the spider's web situation with her and Rose and Stanley and Rose and just the joy they got out of like, you know, really enjoying having these, these two kids there so that they could just have their, their fun with them. Yes. Yes, totally. I mean, I thought the final scene of the movie was really great because Rose and Fred are gone. She's finished her novel. He's read it. And then all of a sudden she's like happy and dancing with him. It's like, I got through that writing process. I dealt with, you know, I got what I needed out of Rose to inspire me, to get me through this writing. Close the cover on that book and... Ah, now I can feel good for a while until it strikes me again and I want to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's an important part, though. She, you're, uh, it's to not be overlooked is that she, at the end, and John, you pointed it out, Hyman and her have such this interesting push and pull relationship. And he gives her that validation at the end of like, this is brilliant. That you can see, not just to your to your point, Erica, you're, there's certainly the relief of having finished, but she it's not just being finished, but she immediately, the, her harshest critic, as her husband, has just given her a positive reinforcement of it. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it was a great pick, Erica. I don't know if you guys had any other comments about aspects of it, but, you know, it. we'll see towards the end of the year, you know, when the Oscars or whatever come out. I mean, I, I could see her being nominated I, I feel like it was a solid performance yeah I mean Oscars it's always who saw it and everything like that and so political as we all know I wouldn't be shocked if she got a she got a nomination uh, I, I did love the cinematography too it's a very fluid camera all throughout it so you never feel like you're getting on stable ground matches the character Yes, matches the character for sure and with the last the final scene of the movie again where they're dancing and then the camera's outside of the house showing them dancing from there. And even just the the credits kind of coming in in these reveals, it's all of a sudden calm. You know, it just all of a sudden feels like, ah, oh. yeah, I don't know. It was just like a very, it was like a relief at the end of the movie after being so tense and uncomfortable and sweaty and smoky. And it felt like, light and relief and gentle. Well, don't you feel like on some level, because you mentioned the word spiderweb, and I did certainly think about this in the movie, and that last shot feels like you're, if you were like the, you were the sort of the fly itself, and you're being, at that point, you are being wrapped up by the spider, almost like the, like in a very maniacal type of way, you are being lulled to the end. Interesting, yeah, good call. 
<laughs> one thing I I was thinking of is like, especially with, you know, the casting of the husband, this felt like Call Me By Your Name was like the one version of, of this story. And then Shirley was like the off the rails version of this story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Who, who names it's the, the same actor? It is. Yes. Yeah. It was more popular in the 50s, I bet. Or I guess it would have been in the 20s or 30s whenever this guy was probably 20s in the if he if in the 50s he was a tenured professor turn of the century hymen all I, the rage he can do pretty much no wrong as an actor it feels like yeah he's he's stellar just curious have you guys seen josephine decker's madeline's madeline no okay yeah, I can't really recommend it. It's really odd. Um, so I wasn't sure what this film was going to be like going into it. I was I was happy that it. I mean, Madeline's Madeline got a lot of a lot of love and attention, and I, you know, I think she's definitely proving to be a great filmmaker to watch for sure. I felt, I felt like she pulled a little bit, particularly in some of the dinner scenes. There's some references and callbacks to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, like, yeah, like, good call there. Yeah, and it's just like, I was like, oh, she's playing off of that that dynamic. There's a few things, if you haven't seen it recently with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Harris, stuff like that, definitely calling back. So. I just did actually in the last year because it's on the Criterion channel. So that was one of the first ones that I watched that I hadn't seen before. So yeah, that's fresh in my mind, Mike. Good call. Finally, mystery solved about why a plot keyword on IMDb was footsie, playing footsie. We got that sorted out. Such, <laughs> such a quick moment, too. There's, we got to keep all those foot fetish people like uh, in the loop on every tiny moment. That's right. Yep. You got to know this is a movie for you, foot people. You get your one shot. <laughs> So I think that Shirley was certainly worth her time. I think we all give it a thumbs up. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, okay, everyone out there, watch watch Shirley. Let us know what you think. Erica, what else did you watch? I'm not watching a ton these days other than what Mike puts on the TV. <laughs> Honestly, I well, follow have, his You lead. have a movie listed here. You watched a movie on Amazon, it looks like, that we were going to show at Film Grain okay. Dinner and a movie. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed the movie Knives Out. I have already seen it twice, and I watched it a for a third time over three nights because... I praise. Watch, sleep, watch, sleep. It is one of my favorite movies of 2019. 2019. It was 2019. So Thanksgiving... It, Yes, all of the characters are just so well drawn in that that movie. I love the the female lead. You'd you'd be better to mention on a that. on a day Armas the yeah. the new it it girl. Yes, she's fabulous character and she plays her so well. The entire family of this author. Okay, we we again we have a a mystery author. This one is much more eccentric and he's really into his his lifestyle as a as an author and he has a family that uh, he has varying levels of connection to. He has a whole plan and it is in his death and he passes away and the story is all about how his family reacts to the death 
and interacts with a fabulous Daniel Craig who plays a private investigator. He is wonderful. It's jarring for me to listen to Daniel Craig talk with such a thick Southern draw. <laughs> yeah. It really is jarring. It's like, is someone, I almost thought like some, like he was lip syncing and somebody was doing audio over him. Christopher Plummer, who stars in the movie as the, as the patriarch, in The Sound of Music, he doesn't actually sing. Oh. He, he he has, you know, someone someone dubbing for him. And that made me very sad. Yeah. So it was the same thing here. I just, I have this sneaking suspicion it wasn't Daniel Craig. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, think conspiracy. It's, conspiracy. Yes, it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, but I, I watched that and I really love it. Rian Johnson, during this uh, period of quarantine, has finished the first draft of the sequel. Cool. Continued the, awesome. uh, the mysteries and the uh, sort of adventures of Daniel Craig's character, Blanc. Benoit, Benoit Blanc, if I believe. That's right. That southern <laughs> French... Foghorn, that foghorn leghorn type of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping... I'm hoping... <laughs> yes. I'm hoping for a Knives Out brick crossover somehow. Somehow yeah. there's got to be a crossover of those worlds. With a little touch of Brothers Bloom or something like that? <laughs> yeah, with some Brothers Bloom in there. Man, it's been a while <laughs> since I saw that one. All right, so that's what you guys watched. I watched I Know This Much Is True, which is a double dose of Mark Ruffalo playing twin brothers. It's from, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his last name. I don't know if it's C in France, who did The Pines Between Us and Blue Valentine. Um, he's he's great with, you know, very emotional, very dramatic, like squeezing drama as far as you can go, towing the line of, Okay, it's it's melodrama. It's way over the top. Um, it's it's a gut wrenching series. It's fantastic. I would highly recommend it. The other series that I finished season four of is Better Call Saul, which gets better and better each season. I don't know if you guys have watched Better. Do you guys watch Better Call Saul? I love it. Yeah, it's like to it. have the balls to make Breaking Bad and then stay not- in that universe. I'm almost in the camp of feeling like I think Better Call Saul is going to end up being better. It may already be better. I'm not sure. They're different stories. I think that the important thing is, you know, it's just another examination of how we become, how we can become corrupted in some ways. Uh, But sort of the uh, institutions and the pressures that fall on Saul, Jimmy, are different from what happened to Walter White. But he can do no wrong as a storyteller and not just on the television format as a storyteller he is second to none it could have been really probably should have failed right but amazing and then as far as movies i rewatched xavier dolan's mommy um which i picked up on blu-ray which i loved even more the second time i believe we showed that at film at the erie art museum we showed lawrence anyways and mommy i believe both of those mm-hmm. and i am going to rewatch lawrence anyways because I'm, I'm starting to get in a little xavier dolan kick <laughs> need to see more more movies of him i didn't appreciate him being in it chapter two for five seconds there at the beginning for acting um if you guys saw it chapter two He's in there for about. Will five. not watch something with clowns. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw like either. Gretel and Hansel, which came out early oh. this year before the pandemic. And I would highly recommend Gretel and Hansel. It got bad reviews because it's a very, it's like, it's a production design level, like type movie, like Guillermo del Toro does where it's like every shot, every angle, every color, you know, every um, stick. It really looked incredible. Yeah, it's, I, I was quite impressed. Um, and then to round out, I watched The Dead Zone, which I never had never seen before. Oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> An old Stephen King Cronenberg, which is on uh, Amazon. And uh, Ford versus Ferrari, I revisited, which just ended back up on HBO Max. And I told Mike, like, the experience in the theater, this is one of those movies, which kind of like, uh, I think the last one that I felt like this was kind of Dunkirk, where I feel like the theater experience really, like, it's so well sound designed. And like, you know, you just feel those different car engines, like just rumbling in your chest. You don't get that same experience at home. It's still a, a good, enjoyable movie for sure. But it's like you lose a degree. I am really beginning to be more and more impressed and interested in what James Mangle is doing as a director. Sort of the remake of 310 to Yuma is I, I and I've seen the original and I and I used to watch that with my dad and stuff and that's that's a great great film and he, he kind of improved upon it I, I would agree with that for sure and I love Logan like uh, I, I thought Logan was great <laughs> and of course walk the line walk the line is very is a very good competent uh, musical biopic yeah I think that's streaming somewhere maybe I should watch that too I think I saw that pop up somewhere. So Erica, did we get anything from Facebook recently? Our Facebook gang is certainly watching a lot, although this week we didn't have a ton of uh, ton of comments, but Philip Tchaikovsky watched The Shining, Donnie Brasco, and The Birdcage. Interesting combo. I think The Shining and The Birdcage I have seen and of course are fabulous. I will make a comment about The Shining. Uh, never mind, I will not do that. <laughs> what? Tease. <laughs> he's watching television. Um, he's watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's watching Nightfall on History and A&E about the Knights Templar. It's a dramatization of that. He thinks that the writing is terrible on that, uh -huh. but he's interested anyway. So thanks for all of those comments, Philip. Uh, Kimberly Heath Fox is watching Philomena. Yes, which- Dame, Dame Judy Dench. Dame Judy Dench, which I remember when I did see it, I really enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. you know how I saw it? I got a manila envelope full of some nefariously uh, acquired DVDs from Joe Butoriak. Aw, nice. Hannah Kirby watched Dear White People Volume 1. Love that show. Love that show. Andrea Simons watched Nicholas and Alexandra 1971. So I don't know if that's the title or if it's the 1971 story i'm not familiar mike no i'm not familiar with that kudos to that person then Just yeah us. kudos andrea so that's what we have from facebook nice well um my pitch for next week which spoiler we've all we've all watched it but we want to talk about it and we will talk about the first three episodes of hannibal the tv series strangely enough played on network television for three years, 39 episodes before it was canceled for low uh, viewership. 
an amazing show that network TV did not deserve. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So uh, that's our recommendation for this week. So it has just shown up on Netflix. I think this is the first time you've been able to stream the entire three seasons on a streamer readily available. So Hannibal 2013 through 2015. So if you've seen Silence of the Lambs, if you've seen Hannibal, if you've seen Manhunter, is that what it is, Mike? Yes. Um, and Red Dragon. And Red Dragon. Or if you're just familiar, or if you're just interested, and you can handle violence, highest no, recommendation. No, you, if you can if you handle can stomach, gore. If you can stomach. Wow. Stomach gore might be, yes. might be correct. Gory images. Yeah. There's a there's a big like caveat with the series. It's not going to be one to sit down with the folks and you know check out as a family over dinner, for sure. Unless yeah. you're one of those kind of families, then by all means, eat up and watch Hannibal. <laughs> no, but, uh, so we're gonna watch the first three episodes and discuss next week Hannibal on Netflix. That's been our episode. Check out Shirley on Hulu and let us know what you think in a comment section on Facebook. Next week, our guest will be Matthew White from White Thorn Digital. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain. <laughs>